Hey, welcome to the Ron Johnson Discipleship Podcast. We are so excited that you uh, chose to join us today. Thanks for tuning in and listening and spending uh, a half an hour or so with us as we try to talk about really, really important issues. And our challenge these days is how to uh, narrow them down. There are so many things to talk about, so many important uh, issues going on. Probably top of the list would be the fact that... Uh, uh, by the time you hear our next podcast, we will have experienced a midterm yeah. election. And uh, that, of course, is coming up in about a week. Yeah. Um, and midterm elections, as I shared in my sermon on Sunday, when when something happens that impacts the entire population of the United States of America, it's kind of important. Yeah. So uh, we're encouraging people to be educated, get out, vote, do your civic duty, and um, and make sure you get out and yeah, I mean, I think this past Sunday you addressed why is it so important for for us on a on a Sunday service at church address these issues, talk about the importance of election, talk about the importance of freedom. You know. Yeah, you know, I joke I joke around because pastors have their own little little things, and and one of them is like, um, do you preach expositionally, meaning verse by verse through a certain book or th- certain chapter? Or do you preach topically? And there, you know, there's really there, there's merit to both. Um, I, I love to preach expositionally. I know you do too. It's great to go verse by verse through a book or through a chapter. But there are times when I believe anyway, you need to just like pause if that's your normal flow, because like a national election is huge. And if you look historically, uh, pastors in the pulpits historically have have stood there and preached and connected dots between the issues that were going on in the nation and the character of the people who were seeking to be elected. In, in other words, the, the pulpit was open and uncensored, and, and pastors talked about things that were important. And I, I joked around, you know, do you want to talk about something that's going to impact every single American, or do you want to continue on your series on the book of Leviticus? You know, uh, nothing wrong with Leviticus, but it has nothing to do right now with what's going on in our nation on a larger scale. Right. And so that's why I think pastors have to make choices, again, not to preach from the newspapers. That's that's getting everything turned upside down. But we need to know when to pause and when to, to speak to issues that every one of the people in our churches on Sunday are, are facing. And that's what we try to do. Try to do it every year. And yeah. last Sunday, we, uh, we had our first volley. We'll have our second volley this Sunday. Yeah, I, I thought it's important that we address you know, why this is not a political issue for us. This yeah. is a kingdom issue. And I, I, I love that you brought up how God, Jesus is the king of every realm. And we are extension of his kingdom. And, <clears throat> and as ambassadors of his kingdom, we are we ought to try to enact his policy, his principles in yeah. every realm, including the governmental realm. Of course, his kingdom is not all violence or swords. Yeah. But and that's where people freak out when they start talking about theocracy and everything. They picture a bunch of Christians running around with, you know, uh, submachine guns and we're forcing everybody to, you know, swear on the Bible or something like that, which is absolutely ludicrous, you know. Uh, the way the kingdom advances is through uh, sharing of the good news of the gospel yeah. and through the Holy Spirit working in people's hearts. You can't force people to love Jesus. You can't force people to believe God's word. No. And I don't think there's any... Unlike, unlike the other side, we don't use the strong arm of the government to try to force, <laughs> change people's heart and change people's conscience. But I, I think an important pr- principle in, in all of this is, is whenever you vote or whenever any politician, they bring with them a kingdom. And I think you mentioned this in your sermon. There is a kingdom. There is no neutral ground. There is no neutral ground. Yeah. And we just need to make sure as followers of Jesus Christ, are we following the gospel of the kingdom? Are we are we taking our king's principles and applying how we vote, you know? And, and much of what happens politically is good for your party, but not 
good for the common good. The 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 nature of the gospel is it's good for everyone. Yeah. Now yeah, everybody doesn't works. believe that, but right. the, the the purpose of a Christian getting involved is that we care about true justice, not social justice, like yeah. we talked about last podcast. We care about true true justice, which is creating a a common ground where everybody experiences the blessings of the king and the kingdom. And we know, you know, we're not naive. We know this is not going to come in perfection until Christ returns. We still deal with sin. We still deal with sinful people, uh, ourselves included, selfishness, all that that messes everything up. Um, But nevertheless, we should not be self-silencing, self-censoring, sitting out, because as we said, when the, when the public square becomes naked, in other words, you take out you try to take out all ideologies, right, all religion, and it's a secular public square supposedly, it does not stay empty for very long. Uh, some other ideology is going to fill that vacuum, yeah. and it's time that we awaken to that and realize if if we, if we don't have Christian people leading, Christian people running, people who love God's word, people who promote God's truth then there's going to be somebody else filling that office, and I guarantee you they're going to bring their worldview with yeah. them every day to, to work. So. And our question is, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then do you actually believe in his worldview? Do you actually believe that his reign, the reign of Christ, the principle of his kingdom, all the things Jesus talked about, all the yeah. parables, those principles well, is actually better it's, it's better than every other worldview, every other yeah. kingdom in the world. And, and that's what this podcast... not, why are you following Christ? Yeah. Well, exactly. <laughs> you need to believe in something that you really believe in, not yeah. just say you believe in. Right. But that's been really the foundation of this podcast is we are committed to proclaiming the superiority of the Christian worldview above any other worldview. And we do that not in arrogance or, or boastfulness, but it's like if you don't believe what what you're living, you know, find something better. And yeah. and uh, so we're firmly committed to that truth that it's the gospel is good yeah. for you, it's good for me, it's good for it's good for everyone. Yeah. Extend to every realm. It's not just government, education, healthcare, science. And I think arts. it was John Calvin who made the comment. He said, you know, uh, your governor uh, will impact through his or her decision-making and policies every single citizen of your state. Me, for instance, as a pastor of Indiana, I impact a small segment of Hoosiers. The governor impacts every Hoosier. Should we not be concerned, he said, with those who we elect to represent us? Yeah. I mean, of course we should. It's, it's about authority and power and influence, and the scope of that is serious. And, and we, so we just need to, we, that's what we encourage people, get registered to vote. I, I shared Sunday. It's tragic that there's so, somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 million evangelicals who believe in Jesus, believe in the gospel, believe in the second coming, believe in the word of God, and don't vote, aren't registered to vote. I think the number that was Bob McEwen, yeah. he, he shared with us, and that was a great talk, by the yeah. way. He, he shared with us 80 million evangelicals in America. Half of them are not registered to vote. And the, the, the half that are registered to vote, only half of them vote. Right. Which so is, if you do yeah. the math, only out of the 80,000... 80, I mean, I sorry, eighty million, only twenty million votes. Yeah, yeah, which is devastating. Uh, to that's why we ha- we're in the mess that we're in. And so, yeah. this Sunday, I encourage you if you're nearby or you can listen online. Uh, I'm going to be talking about the responsibility. We talked about sovereignty last week. You know that God, heaven rules, um, and that's good news for us. Yeah. We can trust that God is working out His larger purposes in all situations. But the second part of that in covenant is personal responsibility. It's not all God. There are certain things that he expects from us, and we're going to talk about what those responsibilities are, especially as it relates to national elections.
Amen. So I'm excited about that. Yeah. Um, we're talking about some really, really important things. We've been using uh, Rod Dreher's book, Live Not By Lies, uh, a phenomenal book. And uh, we're walking through that. And we're going to talk today about woke capitalism. Woke capitalism. I don't know if that word woke a couple years ago, if that would have even been in our vocabulary. But yeah. it is definitely firmly entrenched in American vocabulary now. Yeah. Um, he, what's fascinating about this book is he's interviewing people from uh, Eastern Europe, uh, post-Soviet Union satellite countries, you know, that were under Stalin's rule. And, uh, and he's talking to them about the parallels about what they see happening in America today. And they make the comment that one of the unique things about communist countries was there was no personal space or freedom. So if you're living in your... Uh, you know, uh, apartment under Stalin and under communism, there is a really good chance that your apartment is bugged. There are people listening to you. There are people watching you. Of course, now, uh, even in communist China with all the surveillance cameras, I mean, there's very little personal space or personal freedom. Somebody, big brother, is, mm -hmm. is always watching. And um, and they said how horrible that was. And then, and then they created this... Um, socialistic citizen whose job was to uh, basically turn in their neighbors whenever they saw um, divergent viewpoints. In other words, if you <laughs> disagreed with the orthodoxy of the state, if you disagreed with the, if you went off script, you were penalized and, um, and you were turned in. And so you, you not only have government watching, you have your neighbor watching you. And they're saying what a dreadful you know, situation this was when you have no personal space of your own. Um, and the irony, of course, is in America, nobody's surveilling us in terms of, um, you know, hidden cameras or whatever in our, in our homes. Right. We are opening ourselves up to being uh, surveilled by our government simply for ease and comfort and because we like all the latest, greatest, yeah. you know, technologies. Explain that a little bit. I thought that was incredibly yeah, interesting. Yeah, and so these people who are survivors of communist regimes, when they found out how people are, Americans are inviting uh, Siri or uh, what's the Amazon one? The, the little pod that you have in your house. Alexa. Alexa, turn hey, off my light. <laughs> into, you know, Alexa, what's the, what's the temperature outside? And yeah. they're inviting these technology. She was just appalled. Right. Because she lived under a regime which they, she had to rip off secret cameras or secret uh, microphones in her houses because people, the, the police, the secret police were listening on everything they did. Yeah. And Americans are um, openly inviting uh, surveillance into their homes, you know. Yeah, and we're probably both guilty if we got any anybody that has the modern technology, you don't realize that your, your smart devices are listening all the time and they're sending data to... The, to the uh, internet yeah. and people are gathering that data and we'll get into that in a little bit. Like, I'm not a social media guy. I, I, I don't have time or energy for that personally. Um, yeah. I understand it's a good tool for advertising and whatnot, but just I don't personally use it. Um, so I was like, oh, I'm kind of exempt from this. And then he's, he's, he started going through the list. Like, yeah. you know, I have one of those things I plug in my car um, so they can track how safe I drive to save a few dollars on insurance, right? And they're like, they know everywhere you go. They know Little how fast you, know you your, drive. I'll your frugality was going to be the noose that And he even you, said, right? so you can save a few bucks on insurance. I'm like, oh my goodness, he's talking about me. <laughs> now they're they know, but they know, they know where you're driving. 
They know where you're getting your gas. Yeah. They know what your routine is. They know where you shop. Absolutely. Um, Having a smartphone, we all know your smartphone listens to you. You know, you're there talking about, you know, I want to lose a few pounds, and all of a sudden you're on YouTube and this, you know, commercial for whatever, <laughs> Weight Watchers, whatever pops up, and you're like, wait sit, a second. Sit up exercises to strengthen yeah. your core. Yeah. yeah. All that good you know. stuff. Well, it's interesting. He, they, he, he gave an interesting analysis, I guess, of where woke capitalism came from. You know, for Americans, we've always, and this is, un, this is unusual for Americans, but we've always questioned our government. We've been suspicious of our government in a healthy way because yeah. we realize that, and this probably comes from our Judeo-Christian worldview, a concentration of power is never good. And I, I shared this Sunday, you know, the, the greatest threat to all of our liberties is a secular government. Uh, that doesn't respect God, doesn't respect our... Look Look at history. Historically, yeah. what is the the greatest threat to mankind? It's, it's always it's government. These gov- yeah, corrupt government. And, but we always put more confidence in corporate America because corporate America seemed to be conservative for the most part. It was private business. Um, uh, they, they they operated, so we thought anyway, on a higher level of ethics. We, we think uh, capitalism kind of allows things to even out a little bit and kind of has some check and balances, yeah, right? Yeah, internally. So we, we think that, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And so if we said, what's more virtuous, government or corporate America, we would, we would have voted for corporate America right. being at a higher standard. Well, it turns out... Yes. Greed and corruption and power has no ends. It goes everywhere, not Absolutely. just government. Yeah. And and who would have thought that uh, with the rise, especially of the uh, the IT world, yeah, we have some yeah. global uh, American corporations that uh, are just uh, incredibly powerful and have created an amount, the amount of wealth and influence that they have is unbelievable. In fact, yeah. Let's talk about some of these. Um, uh, he says an elite club of global mega corporations are more powerful than many countries, and he gives some good examples here. Walmart has more annual revenue than the whole nation of Spain, mm-hmm. and more than twice as much as Russia. Now that's crazy. You know, we look, we think of Russia that's as being this big superpower, yeah. but economically they're not that strong. Walmart uh, has twice as much revenue, annual revenue than the nation of Russia. Um, ExxonMobil is bigger revenue-wise than India, Norway, or Turkey. And how about this one? Apple has more cash than two-thirds of the world's nations. That's, That's just stunning. That's and so here you have, you have corporate America or, or certain businesses that have so much wealth and power that they actually have more power than state you know, it's governments of the yeah. world, nations of the world. So that, that has probably never happened in human history as it's happening right now. It's a, that's a massive shift. Uh, and here's the IT big five. Uh, in an America that now runs on the internet, uh, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, and Google, uh, those five have a massive influence over American life and especially private life, our private lives. Yep. Um, so what we're seeing is as big business has get, gotten bigger, it continues to move toward the left, which is a massive correction from where we used to be. We used to be able to rely, you know, even politically from conservative to liberal, you used to be able to rely on corporate America to to side with with conservative values. That's not the case anymore. Uh, And that's part of the problem that we're running into. And um, he said standard business practice a long time ago required that businesses stayed on controversial issues because they didn't want to do anything. They would hurt their, their, their brand. Now you have to be involved in some type of social issue to, to, or else you lose legitimacy um, with the culture today. Yeah. Uh, in fact, this young generation says if, you're, if your capitalism d- does not serve some 
purpose or some noble cause, uh, then your company's basically worthless, all right? So, uh, and again, Christian capitalism, we would understand the goal is to serve people, it's to be a blessing. But now we got all these liberal causes that companies are supposed to sign off on or they lose the legitimacy in the eyes of uh, the world today. And let's talk a little bit about the big riffer thing because that, that's kind of up close and personal. I thought it was interesting that he talks about it in his book, The Indiana um, 2015 Riffer situation. Yeah, you want to explain the the background, the context? Well, sure. The you know what we saw happening as as America and as corporate America got more leftist is there was a uh, uh, a push or a a, a uh, honoring of LGBT rights over religious liberty. Now, of course, LGBT rights are nowhere in our Constitution or in any of our founding documents. They were invented. But what's clearly in our Constitution is the right to religious liberty. Yep. And uh, it's foundational. That right comes from God. And so what was happening is you might be a Christian business owner and you're asked, for instance, to bake the cake for the gay wedding, but it violates your Christian beliefs. Uh, in the past in America, we would say, hey, we need to honor people's religious beliefs and you can't force somebody to violate their conscience, et cetera, et cetera, and encourage the folks to go to a baker that catered to their, to, to their needs. Um, that would have been a simple solution to the problem. Um, that was no longer acceptable, and now we were finding Christians being sued for simply not going along with the sexual revolution. Um, well, Indiana tried to stay ahead of all that, and it wasn't just Indiana. It was a lot of states yeah. that were passing these religious liberty uh, protection laws uh, that were not uh, intended to be a club to attack LGBT people. It was simply to be a shield to protect Christians in the marketplace uh, from assaults from uh, those who did not share their views on sexual ethics. And so our, our governor at the time, Mike Pence, along with our legislature, passed a stellar religious liberty bill that protected the rights of Christians in the marketplace. I mean, it was a— uh, and, and mind you, that bill yeah. mirrored the same bill passed federally, Religious Freedom Restoration Act, by Bill Clinton, correct? Absolutely, it shows you. It shows you how left we've we've gone. Yeah, and it passed overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly by Congress. By Congress and yeah. signed by Bill Clinton. Yeah, that by was Bill the Clinton, same language. Democrat. Yep. Yep. And and, mm -hmm. uh, and so this was not a radical piece of legislation, like you said. It was really a state version of a federal federal bill that had already passed. Yeah. Um, and uh, and what happened was something we had never seen in the history, really, of America. Uh, all of corporate America descended upon uh, Indiana, yeah. uh, started attacking our governor, started attacking our state, the people of our state, and basically uh, saying, look, if you guys don't backtrack on this bill, we're going to use you know, economic threats against you. And some of, the, some of the bullies at the time were Apple, Salesforce, Eli Lilly. Basically, they said, we're going to have economic retaliation against the state if you don't back off. Of course, we had the NCAA offices there. Holly, Everybody was universities. Oh yeah. Out. Everybody was threatening that they were going to cancel all the um, conferences, yeah. Or, or, yeah. and it was going to cost the state gazillions of dollars. That's yeah. always the economic yeah. threat. Right. You're going to lose, you know, gazillions of dollars. Um, but it was just crazy the vitriol because what you had there is you had you had the LGBT uh, activists. You had the media, you had uh, corporate America, all the, uh, really I called it an unholy trinity alliance yep. 
just descending upon the good people of the state of Indiana and calling us, you know, bigots and haters and discriminators and all this kind of stuff. And what happened, I still remember, we, we sat down for a nice meal to celebrate with people who had been working very hard on this legislation. And it was a great feeling of satisfaction that this had passed. It was a good, good piece of legislation. And within a week's time, everything was stripped, and basically uh, the bill was completely gutted of any substance. Uh, in fact, some people said it, was, it actually became a pro-LGBT bill instead of what it was intended to do in the first place. Yeah. And it, obviously it hurt our governor tremendously because it felt like a massive betrayal for, yep. for social conservatives, which was his, his base. Um, I can't imagine what he was going through, the pressure and, and everything. Uh, but it, what, what was especially disappointing was the way that our leadership in the state caved. We had a supermajority of people who had share our values and just absolutely caved under the pressure of, uh, of of big media. Yeah, I remember that clearly. That was a traumatic moment for me because yeah. that was like a, wow, I didn't realize. It, it was literally like the right moment with the convergence of all these different forces that have been scheming, planning for, for years and decades, and all of a sudden they show their true colors. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about NCA, We're talking about college coaches come out speaking against something that as simple as religious liberty to, again, to anybody, I, it still just boggles my mind. I don't know if they were just towing the line that they were given or do they yeah. truly feel that way? Every single corporation, every governing official, I mean, it was just like, wow, this little thing called First Amendment about freedom of religion yeah. is it's so threatful, uh, so harmful, so threatening to your agenda to everyone that came out. But it, it was a awakening moment for me because at, until that point, I still thought a lot of these uh, sports teams or, or uh, businesses yeah. still were just going to stay neutral. At least, at the very least, stay neutral, right? Well, and that, that's what, it, this has been the big shift. Before, you would think, you know what, look, we we manufacture tennis shoes, or, yeah. or we, you know, we make Gatorade, or I don't know what it is, but it's like we don't need to jump into a controversial political issue. Yeah. Let's just stay doing what we do. We make Coca-Cola. But all of these things, all of these companies, uh, again, because of the change in the uh, ideology, now believe that they must jump on board and uh, and use their clout. And so now we have you know the in, the NBA uh, basketball. We have NFL was involved. We had basically every major team had to wear the the slogans on their shirts or on the right. on the floor. I mean, everybody feels like if right. you're an athlete or you're an actor, you now you are a social you activist, a social justice crusader. So, so it's interesting because that to me is when politics really got ugly. Yeah, when things start, it's like no holds barred. You 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 are you are win at all costs because now because I I think at that time Mike Pence and some of these other guys in the legislature were not ready for it. This really is opening the door for the Donald Donald Trump, a Ron DeSantis type that comes in who yeah. are saying we're not going to run this. Uh, no longer are the statesmen who's going to you know wear your nice tie and have that civil conversation. You're getting you get into a wrestling match now well, if you get into politics. No, you're exactly right. And what happened was. You can't deal with these issues in sound bites. I mean, for instance, people throw out the word uh, to Hoosiers accusing us of being discriminatory. Well, okay, well, wait a minute. What does discriminatory mean? Everybody in the world makes makes discriminations. We make choices. We make judgments. Right, right. We, we make a discrimination on whether or not we're going to, you know, go out for McDonald's or we're going to go out, you know, for Wendy's. You know, that, that's, a, that, that's a discrimination. We make a choice. 
what they were saying is that somehow we're evil people because we make discriminations, and there was no there was no logical debate. Well, you, there was no look at the bill. It was just name. Yeah, you bring up some uh, <laughs> people members. I remember. Mike Pence went on to whatever show it was, and, and, and his defense was basically, well, I don't discriminate. I don't discriminate. Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. And I'm just thinking, watching him saying, yes, you do. Don't buy every, into their language. Every Everybody law. discriminate. The NBA is discriminating against us. Eli Lilly is discriminating against us right now. Everybody discriminate. He yeah. should go up there and say, well, what do you mean? Everyone makes decisions. Everyone has to challenge, uh, balance things and make decisions, make choices. Yeah. Yes, we're simply making a choice in this direction. Everyone discriminate. Man, that would be such much more powerful, uh, forceful defense of this than going out and, and buying the language of the other side and basically saying, you know, well, I'm going to tie into whatever they say. Well, as we've talked about, it's really about raw power. So if you're an NBA star and you weigh in on it, even though you know, you've had zero training and you don't know any of the facts, but you, you throw your persona, yeah. right? Then that adds weight to it. If you're this gigantic uh, company, you know, that's well-known and on right. commercials all over and your brand is well-known and, and your corporate president says, you know, the script. Oh, well, it must be bad. You know, it, we've lost the civil discourse. We've lost the public well, policy people wrestling the, with issues. In those cases, you know, it's no longer about what is logical, what is right. It, it's, a, like you said, it's about power, right? It's about, it's about uh, if I'm going to interview you from the, from the news media, I'm going to play the gotcha game. I'm not oh, really yeah, trying yeah. to hear your side. And what's happening right now, you know, you have your Kerry Lakes, your Ron DeSantis, your Donald Trumps. They're not playing that game anymore. Yeah. You don't go to politics. When you have someone interview you, your shields are armed. You're not being vulnerable. You're not really sharing what's going on. I hear some of the ex exchange between Carrie Lake and CNN. I mean, she's dishing it right back to them because she's no longer playing their game. Yeah, because they've done that for years. And that was the beginning, which our sides was kind of like, whoa, what is going on here? So, man, I mean, that's what, 2015? It's only been, what, seven years yeah, How things and, have changed. Things have escalated. Wow. And, and, you know, the author, Roger Ayer, points out, too, that nearly 90% of Fortune, Fortune 500 companies have diversity offices. And that diversity office is all about equity, diversity, inclusion. We talked about those three words uh, and what those words mean, which means this whole woke capitalistic ideology is being forced upon cor corporate America even from the place where you're go, where you're being hired for a job, what are they looking at? They're going to go to your social media accounts. They're going to look at your likes. They're going to look at the data they can mine from your life. Yeah. Uh, oh, you're a church attender. Um, oh, you voted for so-and-so. Oh, you like so-and-so. All of that is used to determine whether or not you fit, um, you know, the company's, you know, values. Yeah. And if those values are, are leftist and liberal and progressive, uh, you're gonna not. You're gonna be canceled before you even knew you were canceled. So, so again, I think I mentioned that last week. You know, I'm very passionate about this topic uh, because of the mark. My passion for the marketplace. You yeah. Know, woke, for me, woke capitalism came out from a vacuum in which, for years, for decades, uh, we have compartmentalized anything meaningful or spiritual with capitalism. Yeah. Uh, the church has, or Christians had. You now, capitalism is the business workplace about making money, providing for your family. But Bottom you leave line, out any, yep. any, anything transcendent. Yeah. Like, and now you, you bring out a good point. Now, you know, every, everything that we're dealing with now largely comes from a failure uh, of the church to promote the truth in terms of, you know, like, in, like you said, in terms of capitalism. 
the transcendent purpose of capitalism is to bless other people. It's it's to raise the the water level, so to speak, of everybody. Right. Um, and when you lose that, and it becomes nothing about you know, but about making the bottom line, big money, et cetera, exploiting people, massive layoffs, you know, all that kind of stuff, all for the sake of the, the dollar. People get disgusted with that. Even even people that don't know the Lord get disgusted well, with that I, injustice. I think the problem is, you know, you take out the kingdom of God, you take out the theology of God's kingdom. You yeah. just so even Christians don't have a theology of how to operate in the marketplace because you take kingdom out, it's just evangelism. It's just salvation. You're saved. Now what? There's right. nothing to do. You're gonna go right. to heaven. You wait for you know. You die. You go to heaven. There's nothing. There's no. There's no greater mission. So even the Christians buy into these woke yeah. um, ideologies because it gives them a mission. Because they they realize just greed and money is not enough to motivate. There's tons of business books that comes out and says the best way to motivate motivate people is not money. Right. Is to give them a cause. Yeah. So if you want people who's gonna work the hardest, most loyal to your company, give them a cause and. There's no compelling cause, uh, cause out there given by the church or Christians, so they hop on to yeah. woke ideology. And this is the counterfeit cause. This is Larry Fink, CEO of global investment company BlackRock. He says, quote, society is demanding that companies, both public and private, serve a social purpose or cause, as you just said. Yeah. To prosper over time, every company must not only deliver financial performance, but also show how it makes a positive contribution to society. Now, this is, but this, apart from crisis, humanism at its best is the Tower of Babel. But th this is super sad to me because it tells us that we have dropped the ball to yeah. say, hey, here's a compelling biblical positive contribution we as a church can contribute to our culture to the to to the world to nations beyond just getting people saved and save a prayer there's a compelling kingdom message in which you know we're going to have today's thursday so tomorrow we're going to have the Alada conference and that's really what we're talking about yeah is is is, is the compelling message that the bible that, that jesus christ gave is a message of his kingdom to go and take over it, it, again, through his principle, not with guns and swords, right. but with the message of his uh, of, of his goodness and his grace, yeah. you know? And, yeah, and maybe that'd be a good thing we could get into in a, a podcast upcoming is, I guess, digesting a little bit about that Avada conference, because I know there's going to be a ton of amazing content for that, especially as it relates to kingdomizing your business, bringing a Christ-centered purpose to your life. But, but this is, this to me, is the decades of us Maybe even dropping centuries of us dropping yeah. the ball, and then now they're like, "Well, you weren't there to give us a cause, and here, you know, and there's a counterfeit cause that fits all these things to a T." And I think this book points out, which is the irony of it all, is that you know American young people today are much more sympathetic to uh, socialism than ever before. Yeah. And people coming from socialist countries who have watched their nations destroyed and watched the poverty and the misery levels increase. They're like, what is the matter with you Americans? Why can't you see it? But I think, again, it's, it's, that, um, uh, it's that empty, materialistic pursuit of money for money's sake, pleasure for pleasure's sake, that causes people who have tasted of that to realize there's got to be something more. Right. And it's interesting, a lot of the folks leading these, these socialistic charges are rich, spoiled rich kids who have never been introduced to Christ or transcendent purpose for their life. And they realize it's not he who dies with the most toys that wins. You know, uh, there's got to be more to life. And so they're finding radical causes, whether it's climate, yeah. whether it's abortion, right. uh, LGBT, 
um, whatever it is, uh, race, race issues, whatever the cause is. And so they're willing to jettison capitalism, which has been responsible for producing the greatest wealth, prosperity, blessing in human history. Throw that out the window for something that looks and feels like it's going to be a better alternative, which is really a lie. In the, in right. the end, it's, it's devastating. It, I, I was talking to um, a great man, and he, he said, you know, someone comes to a pastor and any pastor and says, I'm going to give you a million dollars. If I give you a million dollars, what would you do with it? What vision do you have it to better our world? Yeah. Most pastors won't have really have a response. Right. Because the, you know, the compelling call can't be just like, well, I want to increase my church budget. I want to pay myself a nice vacation, yeah. buy myself a boat. That's not compelling cause to change the world. Do we, as leaders in the church or, or, or leaders you know, of God's kingdom, have a compelling cause right. with resources and abilities and infrastructure to make the world a better place based on God's principle. Yeah. No, that's a great question. Yeah. And uh, and there's a lot of idealistic young folks who want to go out and make make their mark in the world. Yeah. Pra- praise God for it. The problem is if it's not rooted in Christ's it's kingdom, it's, kingdom. It's, 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 in the end it's going to be delusion and deception yeah. and, and, and disaster. Absolutely. Um, I guess one thing just to transition for next week um, – is this whole rise of what they're calling surveillance capitalism. Yeah. You and I touched on it. I was amazed. Uh, I was talking with a good friend, missionary of ours, who was uh, serving in communist China for a couple of decades. And he started telling me, this was back in like 2014, something like that, about this whole notion in China of creating a social credit system. I was dumbfounded about it when he started talking about it, and we won't get into it for the rest of this podcast, but we'll just introduce it. But basically, the concept is the Chinese government, communist Chinese government, has so many surveillance monitors, cameras all over the nation, uh, and uh, monitoring, of course, the Internet. Basically, they, they monitor just about everything they can of a citizen's life. And they create a, a social credit report card, basically, based on a, a whole c- group of, of points. Uh, and they measure all kinds of things about your life. If there's any deviation with your life and, for instance, the communist Chinese ideology, that is recognized. So, for instance, if you keep going to church, a Christian church, that's not something the communists value, obviously. They're atheistic. And that is noted. If you... Um, Share something on social media that's that uh, goes against the communist Chinese government. That's that's monitored. That all goes against your social credit score. And your social credit score is basically here's the ideal Chinese citizen. If you are the ideal Chinese citizen, you get certain perks and blessings. If you're not, you're not able to go to certain universities. You're not able to leave the country. You're not able to get a passport to travel. Um, I mean, there are severe consequences if you do not walk in line with what the ideal Chinese citizen is. We'll get into this next week, but the irony is America already has the IT infrastructure for a malevolent government to do the same exact thing to Americans. Now, we're hoping for better, and we can get into talking about um, you know, how close that is, but it's absolutely scary to think, number one, what's taking place right now in communist China and then to think that this could be a precursor for what ungodly governments try to do, uh, especially as globalism uh, grows, where now we have a global citizen scorecard. 
And literally, you can cancel somebody, destroy somebody financially, shut them out of financial markets with a flip of a switch if a group of controllers deems that you're not acting the way you you should be acting according to whatever their, you know, whatever their contention. That's that's why having some type of of national electronic monetary credit system or instead of cash is such a dangerous thing because we'll, we'll get into this all yeah, yeah. next year there's a lot we can get into but but this is at same time horrifying but at the same time sobering and also awakening for all of us because you know i i think you know i think fundamentally americans are different from chinese speaking from a chinese yeah. background person so i think there's a lot of hope but but this yeah. is sobering absolutely sobering and, and we have a midterm election and as, yeah. as we said the beautiful thing about our american system of government is is yeah. if we'll work it and take the freedom that we've been given yeah. uh we can uh we can change things around we can put good people uh godly people in office and we can see our nation turn around that that's yeah. our hope so yeah. i do want to mention too if you're watching us on thursday um on Sunday night, uh, the coming this coming Sunday, we'll be having a prayer meeting at our church from six to seven. That prayer meeting is going to focus on uh, praying for America, praying for the upcoming election, and just uh, rejoicing that heaven rules, that God is moving in the affairs of men, and that as we seek Him and humble ourselves before Him, He hears our prayers, He answers our prayers, and uh, and that's our that's ultimately our hope. So thank you for tuning in. I hope this has been helpful to you. We'll look forward to being together with you next Thursday. Until then, have a great week.